with me this morning for the reading of the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles, the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter number 23, Luke 23, and we're going to start reading at verse number 50. Luke 23, and I'm going to start reading at verse number 50. And uh, um, while you're turning there in, with some that I recognize that are here this morning, we are honored to have the Gray family with us. Sister Shelby's mom and daddy are here. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And, uh, and we're glad that you could be here with us this morning. And I, I'll stop. I'll stop mentioning names. I'll get in trouble because somebody say, you didn't mention me. You didn't call me out. Just know we're glad that you are here. The Ringos. Good to see the Ringos. Just each of you here in the house of the Lord. Luke 23 and 50. If you're there with me, would you say Amen. The Bible says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. In the Gospel of John, you'll find that someone who was with Joseph was Nicodemus. Both of these men had taken part. Luke's Gospel here just records and mentions Joseph, but Nicodemus was with him that day as they took the body of Christ and prepared it, wrapped it to take and lay it in that tomb. And as we look today, with the help of the Lord, for a few moments of your time, I just want to preach on this thought, and that is, He laid in my tomb. Amen. He laid in my tomb tomb. And I'm thankful today, amen, for the fact that I have a Savior, I serve a Savior that took my place. And He didn't just take my place, He took your place. It doesn't matter, I know with some of us maybe in here you've been saved a hundred years You've developed spiritual amnesia. You done forgot when you was out there lost. When you needed the blood we've been singing about. When you needed rescued and you needed redemption. But I'm here to tell you that today he took our place. He laid in my tomb. Can we pray together and ask the Lord to help us this morning as we look in the word of God. Father, I thank you for every heart and life that is represented here today. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the power of your spirit, Lord, that anoints. And I pray today your word would go forth in that power and in that anointing, Lord, that you provide. As we know that your word, it does not return void, but it will accomplish the work that it is sent to do. And Father, I pray, anoint my mind and lips to preach, our hearts and ears to hear and understand. Hide me, I pray, today behind the cross of Calvary. For Lord, we want to see you and we want to hear you. 
And Father, I pray and I thank you in advance for what you'll do as you meet us in these altars. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. As you're seated, won't you tell your neighbor, say, he took my place. He laid in my tomb. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Understand, here around the resurrection, there is much in the course of this holy week that you have probably seen or maybe you have heard Maybe by way of, I know that in our home and in our vehicles, uh, music that has been played and has been listened to has predominantly centered around the resurrection and the events of the resurrection. We have had activities and maybe there have been programs you have seen. Maybe there have been different things that you have read. and, And so there is much that is attributed to all of the events that surround the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. There is also centered around the tomb in which that he was buried. We come to find that there are a lot of things uh, that center around this particular element of the resurrection story. Understand there have been many messages that have been preached that have centered around the tomb. There have been songs that have been sung of what had happened on this resurrection morning in that garden tomb. There have been programs and cantatas and things that have been produced and sang and all of these different things to talk about, to symbolize, to celebrate all of what happened Around that tomb, I have often found the subject of the tomb interesting. I've often have, uh, there has been much in regards about Calvary, much about the cross and, and the importance and the fundamental piece uh, of our lives that the cross plays and uh, is preeminent for us as believers. And yet, Brother Roderick, in my mind and in my study, I have at times I have dug in and dug around the things that have centered about that tomb. We find that the cross and that sepulcher were just borrowed elements in the fact that Jesus was not going to stay on that cross forever. Amen? He was not there to stay on that cross forever, and today we celebrate the fact that he did not stay in that tomb forever. But this morning, if you would allow me, there are some things that I would like to talk about here in this house and, and the Lord help us as we look at some things that centered around this tomb. And I can't help but in my thoughts and in my mind to recognize because the truth is, Brother Pickens, that cross was intended for me. That cross was intended for you and that place of burial, that place to be sealed and to not be discovered anymore, to die in sin, that would have been the verdict over my life except for a Savior. Hallelujah. Except for one that took my place and laid in my tomb, carried my cross What you understand today is that there's been much intrigue about uh, this borrowed piece of property. 
about its significance in our lives. And if I can, I'd like to just do a little bit of, uh, of uh, research right along with you and share with you some things. I want you to understand that today in the holy city there in Israel, about 10 miles from the western wall, you will find that there is the church of the holy sepulcher. And it is to be believed the place, the tomb, the sepulcher where Christ had been buried. I want you to understand that its popularity is paramount. And it has been the destination of millions who have made a pilgrimage into Israel to go and to see the place where Jesus had been buried. When we look at this, there are, there's much that surrounds this holy sepulcher, this church of the holy sepulcher. As a matter of fact, there are three religious communities that serve as the custodians of that tomb. And then when you go there, uh, are, uh, these groups, they are the Greek Orthodox. They are the Franciscan order, which is a part of that Latin church. And the Armenian church. These groups, they take care of the property. They take care of the grounds. And they are the ones, when you, if you've ever been or if you ever would intend to go and see that you would go to look in that tomb, uh, is that you would, you would find that these, this, these communities, they take care of and, and uh, they take care of the grounds and they make sure everything's fine and everything's taken care of. They provide tour guides that go in and will give you some insight about these things that are going on. It does not cost you uh, any money to go in and to take a look at that tomb. The ironic thing about it all is that there are some that you would think that if there was going to be a pilgrimage by people, millions of people to go and and take a look at something uh, that you would be going and taking a look at something that's inside of there. Maybe there'd be a beautiful statue. Maybe there'd be some kind of uh, some kind of something to signify uh, of the fact that somebody was in there. But that's not the case with this tomb. Millions have made the pilgrimage to go, Brother Tobin, uh, and to walk into that tomb and dip down inside of there and take a look, only to see that there is nothing nor anybody in there. Amen. Oh, there is no bag of bones. There is no pile of dust. There is none of those things. When I was growing up and we living there in Missouri and I traveled across the Mississippi about 20 minutes where I attended school and there in Illinois it was known as the land of Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. And one oftentimes our end of the year field trip. We would go to Springfield, Illinois, and we would go and take a look at the Capitol building, and we would go and take a look at the things in regards to Abraham Lincoln. And I still remember, Sister Sylvia, there was a place that you went into, and it was a place where Abraham Lincoln's body is. There is his casket, and it is all sealed up. And there is a big head of Abraham Lincoln, and that nose, on the end of that nose, all the bronze is, it's all shiny and discolored because everybody, Brother Stephen, that goes in there, they go over there and they rub on old Abe's nose. They go in there. But the tour guide, Sister Torbert, said this. She said, now when you go into this next room, this is where Abraham's Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's body is. And when 
you go in there, they said, you will notice a smell. You will notice, said we, you know, we try to keep the air purified in there and all of that. But they said, the truth of the matter is, is that there inside of there is his dead body. And then when you go in there, Sister Sanjin, you step into this place that you go and they ask you to be reverent and respectful and, and all of those things. And you go by and pass and they have pictures of the, of the funeral procession of Abraham Lincoln. They have the pictures of how long the lines were and how many days it was open to the public that they could come by and see that tomb, uh, see, that, see that, uh, that burial place to where, where Abraham Lincoln is. But you step in there and there is the distinct odor. There is a distinct smell. I know it's been perfumed up. They've tried to cover it up, but nonetheless, you can smell that fragrance in there. Brother Frank, it is the evidence that in that place, there is a dead, decaying body that's inside of there. But in that tomb, oh, where Jesus was believed to be laid, they say when you go in, they don't have to forewarn you and say, hey, they're going to be a little bit of stink. They don't have to go in there and say, well, you're going to see a coffin here. Are going to see a shrine over here. No sir, no ma'am. That tomb was just borrowed for a handful of days. And still to this day you go in and he is not there as it has been declared. He is risen and he is alive forevermore. Thanks be to God. Oh, but it's interesting. It's interesting to me. Going to see, I understand the significance. I understand the importance. But to go and to stare inside of an empty room. Isn't that interesting? And this morning I thought to myself, and I was doing a little bit of research in regards to tombs and sepulchers. And there are some things that are interesting. And if you will allow me, I would like to talk a little bit. Because the truth of the matter is, I've never been. I've never looked inside of that tomb. I know that speaking of death, that speaking of punishment, that speaking of the penalty for my sin, that's where it should end for me. But because Christ has come out victorious, not only over death but of hell and the grave amen that's not the end of the story for the believer amen however I do believe as we will look and dig into this a little bit maybe there are some tombs that we can preach about this morning maybe there are some tombs that you and I are hanging around that maybe we don't sometimes think about it maybe we don't sometimes understand it maybe sometimes it's a, it's a fact that we can overlook it but I want you to understand here just a couple of things this morning first of all I want you to know is that when we look at the word of God in the Old Testament we find there was instruction by many of the patriarchs of faith Abraham, Isaac Jacob, Joseph, various ones to where there were given specific instructions in what to do with their bodies how they were to be buried where they were to be buried. As a matter of fact we find in Genesis chapter 23, 1 through 20 Abraham had 
spent a great sum of money to purchase a tomb for his family. His children and grandchildren were buried in the same family tomb according to Genesis 49, 30 and 31. It was considered as well important to bury someone near his or her home and family. You'll find these this mention in scripture as well. Tombs were generally hewn from the rock just outside the village where people lived. Probably so that the living could avoid uh, being defiled by the dead. But families were buried in the same tomb for many generations. There would be children, grandchildren, in some cases great-grandchildren and their bodies would be in there. You come to find is that I believe this morning that there are some tombs that are sacred to us. There are some places, amen, that when we look at the, the, the expense of what it was and the influence that one must have had in order to be able to afford to have such a tomb, to have one hewn out, we find the scripture says that Joseph of Arimathea, that he was a wealthy man. But Sister Haley, he was along with Nicodemus. The Bible here in Luke says a counselor. As you study that out, he was a part of the Sanhedrin. But yet we find and know that neither he nor Nicodemus consented or agreed to have Jesus put to death. But they were followers of that Christ. Amen. We see where Nicodemus had come to the Lord in the night. And he said, oh, I know. He called him Rabboni, master teacher. And what was he doing? He was laying, laying it out before him. He said, I'm a part of that Sanhedrin. Those men got more degrees than a thermometer. They think they know everything. But I call you Rabboni. You are the master teacher. I know there's something different about you. He said, how is it that I might, be, that I might inherit the kingdom of heaven? And we find Jesus discussed and told him about what it was to be born again. We find in this that this tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, that he was a wealthy man and had this tomb. It, nobody had laid in it. There was no great-grandparents, no grandparents, no mama, no daddy. It was there to be utilized. And we find, and I don't necessarily have the time to, uh, to point out the significance of the prophecy that Christ would be buried the word of God says amongst the wealthy and that, and that is to signify the fact he was going to use brother Wilson that borrowed tomb of that wealthy man of the Sanhedrin Joseph of Arimathea but we come to find is that there that way brother Roderick nobody could say when they went to visit a tomb to say well that box of bones right there that bag of dust right there that's probably Jesus I know they said that he resurrected. That's probably him. No, sir, no, ma'am. There was nobody ever had been in it before. He said, I am the first one in. And I'm the resurrection that's going to be the last one out of there. Hallelujah. I want you to know today is that when we look at this, the price, the price of that tomb, the wealth that was needed to afford. Sister Pickens, it lets us know it was costly. That it was carefully crafted. Can I dare present to the church this morning that there are some of us that we have some tombs that we have invested a lot in. 
There are some places that we have had careful attention in order to have it handcrafted. We've spent some time. We've spent some time getting everything all put together. We have not only invested the time, but as it said that oftentimes these tombs were generational. Because of the expense, there were many family members that had to share the same tomb. And Brother Roderick, in my mind, I think to myself, how many of us on a day-to-day basis we are putting forth an investment into places that only produce death we are making an investment into something that will never yield a return no matter how careful we are no matter how much we've invested there are folks that we will come to a point in place that we will invest in our in, in our sufferings we will invest in our dysfunction we will invest in our turmoil we will invest in our immorality and our separation from God and not only do we invest in it but we will take careful care of it we are custodians of the tomb we'll go by and make sure and double check that our bitterness is still laying around inside of that tomb we'll go around and take a look and make sure that our calloused heart still laying inside of that tomb we'll go around and we'll say this we'll say you know that tomb cost me something you see I've got a lot invested in there there are times that we walk in and out of the doors of the church that we come in contact with the presence of God and God is trying to call us to a place of resurrection he's trying to call us out of our dysfunction he's trying to set us free of our sin and suffering but there are some of us that say no I'm carefully guarding my tomb I'm carefully catering to my tomb my tomb we come to find for generations there are some that are even in this house this morning you even believe you're stuck in a particular position of life because it's something granddaddy had And mama had, and daddy had, and brother has it, and sister has it. Hear me. There are some of you that may know or may not know, but Ashlyn has an aunt. Her name is Shay. And uh, she is married to Sister Sonny Hammond's youngest son, Samuel. And Shay had had grown up in just a terrible home environment. Drugs and prostitution and just all kinds of mess that was going on in that house. And I remember one day talking with Shay when she was a teenager, Brother Roderick. She was born again, radically saved, filled with the Holy Ghost and God using her. And, and I look, Sister Torben, I know y'all know Sister Shay. And I look, as a matter of fact, those of you that was at Crusade, she was Sister Megillah. And, uh, and, uh, and while, uh, while I, when I look at that family, Sister Carolyn, and I see little Shaw, and I see little Sayla, and I see him sir, packing up and going to church. 
and doing all those things. She could have, Brother Pick, and said, you know what? I'm just going to hang around the tomb because, you see, Mama lived in the tomb and my daddy was in the tomb and the addiction was in the tomb and the mess was in the tomb and the filth was in the tomb. Oh, I, you see, there was a lot of cost. There's a whole generation that lives there. But I'm glad to tell you that when God steps in and resurrects somebody out of a tomb that he breaks that generation of sin. Oh, she ain't shooting up drugs. She ain't giving her body away. And her babies are living in the house of God. I want to tell you, he's still resurrecting people out of the tomb. And it don't matter to me. Brother Tobin, it don't matter what family said and this one said and that one said and all the investment because the devil and every adversary of your soul will do their best to keep you in that place of death. They'll do their best to keep you there. Got used to the stink and got used to all the things surrounding that tomb. But Brother Jake, we're so, we're so invested. Some of you in here, you know the cost of burial. Come on. I counted out that cash at my father-in-law's funeral, at that funeral home that he had tucked back. We wrote checks, Sister Torbert. It's not cheap to bury somebody that you love. It's not. It'll cost. And I, I saw, you know, worry and my mother-in-law and, you know, all the things that are going on. You think about all this stuff. And like I said, there are some of us Buddy, we've been doling it out, and we've been we've been keeping up the the the, the uh, uh, attachment to those things, and and we've been worried about it. And well, Granddaddy did this, and Mama did that, and all of those things. But I'm here to tell you, it is time that we break ties with the tomb. There is a tomb of regret. I look at some of the characters, some of the characters of the resurrection, and that there was none. Well. There was, pro- there was probably one who had more regret than Peter did, and that was Judas. Judas took his life. He couldn't handle what he had done. Peter denied the Lord. We know the story. He ran out. He wept bitterly. But we come to find that there was the opportunity for Peter to be restored, but living with regret. There are some that you are around tombs and there are things that you regret. We find that as Jesus was going into Pilate's hall and that rooster crowed, the Gospels record that Peter made eye contact with the Savior. The same one he had told him, said, I'll go with you. They crucify you, they're going to have to crucify me. They do that to you, they're going to have to do it to me. And Jesus said, you don't understand, Peter. That's not what's going to happen. He said this before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Say it is not so, Lord. That's not what's going to happen. But we find that prophecy fulfilled as he looks across across the courtyard and makes eyes. The regret, Sister June, that is inside of him. He ran out. He wept bitter. You can't tell me there wasn't probably a moment that that same suicidal thought that attacked Judas didn't set in Peter. I'm no good for nothing. I'll never recover from this. There'll never be no hope for me. Oh, but the Bible tells us that when the angel gave the charge to the women in the garden, she said, go and tell the disciples 
disciples and Peter said I want you to go and we come to find Brother Roderick one of the first ones down when he got word that the tomb was empty he ran down there to see if indeed it was and I want to tell someone in this house is that I've had regrets I've had a broken heart I've been embarrassed to death but I want to tell someone that thinks you can never get up you can never be loved you can never be born again you can never do it over I want to say I look in this house and I've got an Eli I've got a Coleman I've got a I've got a brother Eddie I've got ones that say I've got regrets but there was a man who laid in my tomb he took my place he healed me of my shame hallelujah but he ain't got to live in that place oh I know an employer I know somebody that can go back and look at your record and I say oh well and maybe there's times you get red faced maybe there's times you get a little bit embarrassed But son, hold up your head high. And you just tell the next clerk. You tell the next employer. I know what you see on paper. But there's been a spiritual expungement. There's been a spiritual expungement of my record. Because he laid in my tomb of regret and shame. And he called me out. And he took my place. So I ain't got to live there anymore. I ain't got to live there anymore. Oh, the tomb of regret is real. There are many who do not come to Christ because they feel they cannot. Because regret has wrapped its tentacles around them. And it sets in the background. And sometimes you'll get a little bit of slack. And you're making a few strides. But then regret will tighten its reign. There's many... You see, if Christ hadn't have laid in that tomb of regret, Peter would have never stood on the day of Pentecost and preached to where 3,000 would come into the kingdom in one day. I'm telling you, friends, he said, Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I'm glad the story didn't stop there. He said, but I have prayed for you. Come on here. He said, not that you wouldn't fail. You're going to have more failures, Peter. But I'm praying your faith don't fail. What does that mean? Don't you ever get in a place again to think you've got to shut up, sit down, don't let hell, don't let the naysayers, don't let anybody tell you that you can't because I prayed that your faith would fail not. I have prayed that you stand strong in faith, believing and knowing what I have done for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That tomb of regret, it's deadly. And it's taken in a whole lot of people Oh, that have felt like they could never recover from their failure. Rejection. The tomb of rejection. One of the folks, a part of the scene of the tomb, was Mary Magdalene. A woman so wrapped in sin, many Bible scholars and theologians believe she was the woman who, of whom 
that seven demons were cast out of her. We find at the point of her deliverance that she became a faithful, faithful follower of Christ. When the disciples had scurried, with the exception of John, we find that day of the cross, Brother Blewett, you had John and you had Mary and you had Mary, who was there, there faithful to the end, rejected by others, no better than just an old dog to some. I mean a life so immoral, so polluted. You could tie in regrets here with rejection. And here she was, the only place she found solace. The only place that there was the hope of second chance. The only place where she was accepted for who she was that Christ made her was amongst Christ and a handful of selected people. She was not Brother Hemphill standing on a soapbox somewhere saying, look at me and listen to me. No, Sister Trakina, she'd been rejected by men she had been rejected by her family she had pain and she had scars there were things that stayed with her oh but can I say is that in this that we come to find the first woman that Christ revealed himself to was a woman who fought and was dealing with rejection can I tell somebody this morning your regrets might have pain and it might have placed you in an area or atmosphere a feeling like you're rejected some would say I could never I know for some maybe it was hard for you to come into God's house maybe it was hard saying it's been a while since I've been in but I want to let you know that we still serve a Savior who says whosoever will don't you let a shirt tie and a suit coat fool you there is none righteous no not one I was lost and undone without God or his Oh, but he dug down, Sister Sanja, and he reached down, Sister Sylvia, and he pulled me out when I was rejected. He pulled my feet out of the miry clay and set him upon a rock. Hallelujah. Nobody cares for me, accepts me, loves me. What am I going to do? Let me tell you, if you only have the love and acceptance of Christ, you've got it all, sister. You've got it all, brother. It is enough. It is enough. I'll dare say, I told somebody recently, I said, your hunger to be accepted by so many other people, I said, you're going to have to learn that you're perfectly fine with being accepted by Christ and Christ alone before you try to cater to everybody else. You hear me? You hear me? I told you all the little story about the little girl coming down the hallway of her church. And she was just a humming the words to the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. She was just a humming. And the pastor came up behind her and he said, oh, sis. He said, you're humming my favorite song. And, she said, he, and then he answered, he kept on, and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. And she looked at him, probably like only Sister Audrey Botterford could. <laughs> she turned around, looked at that preacher, she said, that's not how I sing that song. He said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, how do you sing the song? She said, I sing it, Jesus knows me, this I love. Oftentimes we are judging people about things we know nothing about them. 
And yet we claim to be loved by God who knows everything about us. You hear me? Be careful, self-righteous saint. Be careful, churchgoer. Be careful. I know you got the hymn book memorized. I know you can quote Clendenin from sun up to sundown. I know, I know you can have title, position, prestige, and you can be in a situation where everybody looks at it and says, Ooh, look at them. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. He was rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Despised, rejected, and hated because, Brother Frank, he laid in my tomb. When I have and you have and we've all been in those places where rejection has set in. Nobody has the time of day. I came to let somebody know there's a man who laid in that tomb for you. So you ain't got to be there any longer. You ain't got to be there any longer. The last thing I want to mention is a tomb of religion. A tomb of religion. You see, we, have, we can shout and say amen about being delivered from the perverse tunnels of darkness, of regret and rejection. But there's a point in place where all of us live a lot of times, and we take the utmost care of this particular tomb, and it is the tomb of religion. It is the tomb of, of which that we believe if we do Act, say, where, go, don't go, do this, do that. We have our list and our checkbox and all of these things. And we have our membership cards and we have, our, we have this place we've served and that board that you're on and this thing that you've done. Religion that we think makes the man spiritual. We can come into our beautiful sanctuaries and we can go through all the dynamics and all the calisthenics of worship and we know when to amen and we know when to lift a hand and you got no problem putting offering in the plate. You got no problem putting on the dog and pony show because we have become experts at religion. We have become experts at being at a place as to where we have the enactment. And of all the people, we can talk about Peter, we can talk about Mary, but I found it interesting that it was two men of the Sanhedrin. Two men of the Sanhedrin. It was not those who claimed to be the faithful followers, Lord will go with you, who took his body down and put him in that tomb. It was two men who held position and had prestige. Two men who were raised and instructed in religious rites. And they knew it all. They knew all the things that they had been taught. And they also knew, Sister Sanja, that they were going to be marked revolutionaries for even associating with this man, Jesus. Matter of fact, they feared uh, the threat of the Jews so drastically that in secrecy, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate to beg the body. 
But isn't it interesting that two religious men, I know that, that probably their, their track record doesn't speak of immoralities and perverse attitudes. Maybe, they're, maybe they didn't know what it was up to that point necessarily for rejection or a life full of regrets. But there was one thing that they, both of them, that had a bad taste in their mouth and that they knew that this one Jesus was completely different than anything else had ever known, anything else had ever experienced. But they had the bad taste of man's religion. They had the bad taste of tragic traditions. I want to tell you church that more than ever listen to me. We here during Kids Crusade we had kids. I mean if we didn't watch them they'd be swinging from the chandeliers. They wild and crazy. We've got, we've got folks that might come in and they won't look like you. They won't smell like you. They won't talk like you. I had a man one time. I mean he had just been coming to church. He met me in the foyer of the church and he came and shook my hand brother Pickens and he said brother Jake he said that was one bleepity bleep 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 message <laughs> and he went and he wasn't being ugly and he wasn't being he was sincere that's the best compliment he could dig out and I didn't stand there and lay hands on him brother Chris and say come out that devil I didn't kick him out and say don't ever come back talking to me like that again no sir I would have ran him out but I'm tired of religious attitudes and I'm tired of folks that think they got the market on how somebody is going to be born again I watch that man baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Ghost. I watched him, his life completely transformed because somebody dared to not stick around the tomb of religion. You let them come into your church. You let this one do that? You let that I can't believe. Oh, I can't believe they came in dressed that way. I can't believe they came in that way. Listen, I've got an announcement I'd like to make. If there's any other church in the Golden Triangle that wants to reject folks like that, I'm going to say we're going to swing the doors open wide. Let them come on in. Why? Not because of Jacob Smith. I can't change them. And we can't change them, Brother T. But I serve a risen Savior who said religious people killed him religious people crucified him but give us a bunch of ragtag folks that'd say I've been washed in the blood I've been set free I ain't got it all right but I'm not going to lay down in a tomb of dead religion oh those men it's interesting to me Two religious men who were done with religion said, give me the body. Give me the body. Because, Brother Bobby Wilson, they had religion, they had teaching, and they had tradition. But you see, that day, when you can take down one and wipe the blood stains off his face, put your reputation on the line and wrap him up, and put him in the tomb, that speaks of relationship. That speaks of something far greater than religion. 
Religion will get you to where one day you're crying Hosanna and the next day you're saying crucify. Religion will get you to a place to where you can sing every song and do everything, but you can't love somebody into the kingdom of God. Hear me. Hear me. There is a world, they're sick and tired, and they are dying in tombs, and they've been scarred by rejection. They are scarred by regret, and they are scarred by religion. But may God help us to lift up a Christ and Him crucified and wave a bloodstained banner. Believe me, I'll preach the message of the fact you can come in as you are, but there's a God that loves you enough. He will not leave you as you are. Changes will come and things will happen, but let's leave dead, dying religion at the door and give us a church in power of of relationship. Paul said, he said that I may know him. Know him. I want relationship with him. And he said, how do I want to do it? He said, in the fellowship of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection. You see, according to the religious and Paul, it took a long time before they accepted him. Because a religious didn't think that murdering snake could ever be saved. So can I say, Brother Danny, Sister Carolyn, if you'd come. If you're in this house this morning. And you're at a place in your life. Maybe you have been tending the tombs of regret. Maybe you've been tending the tombs of rejection. Maybe you've been tending the tombs of religious attitude and heart. Can I just announce to you today, you ain't got to hang out in that tomb anymore. Because there came a Savior who laid in my tomb and in your tomb. And still to this day can deliver you completely and wholly from such things. To where you can walk in newness of life. In relationship with the Savior. And love Him for who He is to you. Not an idea of humanity, not the opinion of the preacher, not the establishment of the organization, but that you know Christ. And every one of these that I mentioned today who was a part of that tomb, all of them had the testimony written of them that they knew Him. They lived for Him. They served Him faithfully. Can we bow our heads all over this house? Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, I thank you today. I thank you today that you have taken our place. The place of our suffering, the place of our sin. Lord, all of the regrets, the rejection, religious attitudes and hearts that we can possess... And I say that collectively because all of us can. All of us can. We can be held back from the work of God and your plan and purpose because of regret. There are some that continually try to formulate and emulate their lives like other people because they are trying not to be rejected. Some that are in this room, you, you have felt the rejection of your family. You felt the rejection. Some have even been bold and brave enough to tell you to your face they want nothing to do with you. 
It's painful. It hurts. It wounds. It scars. And if we're not careful, that hurt will keep us in a place that's where we die. That's where we die. Some are so chock full of regret that their whole life, even if they're sitting on a pew, is what would have, should have, or could have been. Because about the time you step over the threshold into the doors that God is setting before you, regret shows up and wants to paralyze you. Probably the most dangerous of all is those of us that we have experienced the goodness of His grace and His mercy, but somewhere along the line, we have embellished, we have forced, we have developed hearts and attitudes that get stiff-necked and hard-hearted and we get religious. We're good at religion, but we're terrible at relationship. We're good at format and function, but we're terrible with the freedom of the Spirit of God. We know the ins and outs. We know the to-dos and not-to-dos. But somewhere we have forgotten about the grace and mercy of God. And it's evidenced in the way that we handle other people. Jesus, I pray today that you would help us to and remind us that you have laid in those tombs for us. They're expensive. For some, it's generational. For some, it's all that we've ever known. But today, Lord, you break such attitudes and you break such thoughts of, that have been passed down by family members and hearts and attitudes. And today, Lord, you provide freedom. Can I ask you this morning, child of God, is there a place of regret? Is there a place of rejection? Is there a religious attitude? Is there a heart? Are you today struggling with the fact of to say, preacher, if I'm quite honest, I, I'm good at religion. I go to church and I claim that I love God, but I don't have real relationship with Him. He's not the Lord of my life. If this morning the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart in regards to such, you can leave here knowing Him, receiving of His mercy. It's not enough to have a membership somewhere. It's not enough to have shaken the preacher's hand. It's not enough to say that you're on the board. It's not enough to say that you hold position. It's not enough to say that you gave, gave X amount of dollars a year to the church. I want to ask you, do you know Him? This morning, He wants to be real in all of our lives. He wants you to know that you ain't got to live and tend to and invest any further in the cost to be around nothing but death. And the good news is, is He resurrected and He left that tomb. He has power over it and power to deliver us and to provide us all the help that's needed today. I'm going to ask you all over this house, you'd say, Pastor, I don't want to guard my tombs anymore. I don't want to hang around that death trap anymore. But Christ has given me life and life abundantly. And I want Him. I want to seek Him out. I want His help today. Why don't we come?
Why don't we come, church, and find ourselves a place in these altars? Visitor, those of you, maybe it's your first time here, you can come. Maybe this morning if you'd say, I need to be, I, I need salvation. I need the Lord to help me. I need the Lord. I've got a lot of regrets, preacher. I've got a lot of things. Would you come? Won't you come? We'll help. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll, we'll introduce you to him. Oh, you ain't got to live. Oh, but Brother Jake, my daddy did, and my mama did, and Grandpa did. And I've got a tomb that's got generations of people. I've got a tomb that's got all kinds of folks that's been suffering, that's been dead and dying. And I don't know how to break its hold. I don't know how to, I don't know how to get away from it. Oh, but there's a Savior who has resurrection power you out of that place he'll call you out of that tomb oh lord i love you oh how he loves you oh how he loves me oh